So we're in 2 Kings chapter 25. Today is a milestone lesson because today we are 75 lessons through our 100-week series. So uh, I'm pumped about that. We've got six more months to go of this series. Five weeks in the Old Testament, five weeks in the New Testament, five weeks in the Old Testament, five weeks in the New Testament. So we've come through so far a series on In the Beginning, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the story of Joseph, Moses, and the Exodus, the law and the land, the judges, the rise of Israel, and today is the fifth in the five-week series on the fall of Israel. Um, and we've looked at a lot of different components of this. Uh, and a lot of the chapters in the Old Testament, you read the chapter and you go, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense where it fits in the grand scheme of the Old Testament. Um, this one is, it's a challenging chapter because if you, if you were assigned 2 Kings 25 as your daily devotional, you would read it and you would go, huh. That's great. I'm sure that ministered to somebody. Because a, it's a chapter with a lot of names. It's a chapter with a lot of technical terms and uh, really strategic military things going on. And it's not, a, it's not a Jesus standing on the mountain going, love your neighbor, right, and, and do good and help other people. And, and it's kind of been a, a, a more difficult message to get. Um, Several of you know that a few months ago, I started a new position at TVA. Um, I'm now in our IT department. And that's awesome, right? Go Geeks. Um, and I will go to meetings, and I will sit in on a meeting, and it is an entirely different lexicon in IT. Um, it is a whole different set of vocabulary. And many times, many times, I will sit in a meeting, and for 15 or 20 minutes, Sorry, Billy. I am completely clueless. My boss is here this morning. Um, but I am completely clueless, right? Because they are talking about uh, network switches and this and that and the other and cert, all this stuff. And I'm going, I don't, I don't really have a clue what's going on here, right? And sometimes what I have found is that they will be discussing something that is incredibly important to me. And I missed it. And I didn't realize it for a few more minutes into the conversation. And if you're reading through the Old Testament and you read through 2 Kings 25, it can be one of those chapters where you kind of get through and you don't really realize the impact for several more chapters down the road of how big a deal this actually is. Um, and I dare say, if we were listing out 100 of the most important stories for us to know about the Bible, very, very few people would list 2 Kings 25 because it doesn't feel like it's that important, but it changes the course of the entire Old Testament. So everything changes after this point. So reading the Bible, I think, is like that sometimes. Here's your first blank if you've got a handout at your table. Uh, important things are easy to overlook, and we can easily become complacent with the fact that we're going through the motions, right? So you can kind of go, yes, I read through my three chapters today. I am well on my way to reading through the Bible in a year. Check, I'm a good Christian today. Boom, right? And that's not really the point at all. You know, those things, the Bible and prayer, are vehicles to get us a deeper relationship with God, just as all that stuff that the Old Testament Jews had to do were vehicles to get them closer to a relationship with God. And I think we've seen so far as we've gone through this series that, that there are ups and the downs, and the ups and the downs, and obedience and disobedience, and obedience and disobedience. And, and those of us with kids know that there is a bandwidth that we have for behavior, right? So you can bump up against the top and you can bump up against the bottom and every once in a while you'll let something go that's out of bounds but you can't live up here and you can't live down here, right? I mean, there's certain expectations. 
Well, the Israelites have been living down here for a very long time. This is about 400 years after uh, Solomon, and God has had enough. And in this chapter, he takes his children to the woodshed. And when God takes you to the woodshed, he takes you to the woodshed. It is not a, oh, we get in there and we negotiate and everything's okay and we come out all right. All right. Did, did anybody in this room ever have an experience like that as a kid? The, the one whipping that you can look back on and go, yeah, everything kind of changed about my behavior that way. Um, my sister and I had one of these. We, were, we lived on a highway, <clears throat> uh, Highway 64, running through Shelbyville. And, you know, it's, then it was 65 mile an hour speed limit. You know, I mean, there's tractor trailers zipping up and down the road, and you just had to be really careful. Well, it was raining one day, and our neighbor across the street wanted to uh, have us over. She was probably, I, I don't really know how old she was. She was really, really old when we were little, and she was really, really old when I was older. So we called her Granny. That, and she had this special kind of cereal that my sister and I were really excited about that day. I was about seven. My sister was about five. Well, I wanted to go across the street to Granny's house, and my sister wanted to go home. Well, it's raining, and we're standing in the middle of the highway, and I'm holding her hand, and I'm pulling one direction, and she's pulling the other. Raining on a highway, seven-year-old and five-year-old in the middle of the road. Recipe for disaster. Guess who drives up? Dad. So he about near killed me, and I thought I was going to die. I actually told him that several times. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Um, he sent Mama out of the house to do it. Y'all ever had that conversation? That the, the other spouse, you just need to go out of the house for a few minutes. And so that's where we were in this. Um, and that was the last one he ever had to give me because all he ever had to do from then on was go, you want to go back to the middle of the road? No, sir. He said that to me, and I was 17 years old. And I took a step back and said, no, sir because I remembered. And, and God is going to use this thing of taking the Israelites to the woodshed in this chapter, and he's going to remind them and remind them and remind them of this throughout the rest of their history. So the key thought here uh, for me then is always be alert to the important things because we can miss this important stuff that we're supposed to be doing and just kind of get where we're going through the motions. Uh, we can just kind of get where we're going through the motions and... Uh, and you can skip this stuff. You can miss it and just totally, it, it, that was for me, guys. Y'all don't have to worry about that. Um, so we're in 2 Kings chapter 25. So verse 1, here we go. All that was the setup for this chapter, right? That was a long setup, wasn't it? It's okay. Verse 1, now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, this is about 590 B.C. for keeping up with numbers, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his armies came against Jerusalem and encamped against it, and they built a siege wall, a siege wall. So now this is a, you guys know that I read a lot of commentaries before I teach, right? Uh, one of the coolest phrases that I have ever read came up in my study this week. Lines, and you may know this, Doug, lines of, of circumvallation. You ever heard of that? Circumvallation. You're going, yeah, whoop de doo what does that mean, right? These are the trenches that an opposing army digs around a city, to dig in. When you, when you hear that phrase, dig in, well, these are the lines that they used. So 2,600 years ago, they were doing this. This was commonplace then. So they've got these lines dug in, and they, they encamped all around against 
Jerusalem, and they built a siege wall all against it. Verse 2, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah, by the ninth day of the fourth month. So 18 months into this thing, right? So if you cut off a city for 18 months, this is a problem, right? So the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans, this is uh, the Babylonian army from uh, Babylon, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around the city. And the king, king of Israel, went by way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho, all his army was scattered from him. So the Chaldeans took the king and brought up the king to Bab- brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the, kings of Z- the king of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Now think about that. The last thing that you see <clears throat> is the murder of your own children. That's a bad day. That's a really bad day. And the reason they blinded him is that in Eastern cultures at this time, it was considered a a restriction on kingship that if you were blind, you were no longer fit to be a king. So what would typically happen is the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, would come into an area, they would conquer an area. That That state would now be a vassal to them. So that king would still be there as long as he swore allegiance to the Babylonians. That's fine. And they would pay taxes, and that was fine. And Zedekiah said, no, we're not doing that. So Nebuchadnezzar came in and fixed that problem. And he killed his kids, which meant what for his lineage? Done. And he put out his eyes, which meant he was no longer a king. So he set siege to the city. He dealt with the leadership. And they bound him with bronze fetters, and he took him to Babylon. Verse 8, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And I think this is one of the saddest verses in the whole Old Testament. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. Now, you remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? How long did it take for the house of the Lord to be built? Anybody remember? 20 years. 20 years. How long did it take for Solomon's house to be built? I remember it? 13 years. It's just, it, it's awful. It's absolutely tragic. And, and we see this, it, so in my mind, this is the Old Testament equivalent of Sherman burning Atlanta, right? You got this guy coming through, and he has been told, you deal with it, right? You put them down, and that's what he does. And he burns the house of the Lord. So you guys have seen those commercials um, those uh, don't end up going to a funeral as a guy named Phil Shifley. You've seen those? Right? All right, so I've got one for you. Here you go. <clears throat> when you devalue God's word, you treat sin lightly. When you treat sin lightly, you have an inconsistent walk. When you have an inconsistent walk, God deals with you. When God deals with you, your enemies may win for a while. When your enemies win for a while, the church is burned to the ground. Don't let the church be burned to the ground. And that was the equivalent here, right? The church was burned to the ground. Their Old Testament place of worship 
So think about this. Somebody comes in, they invade America, and they burn this building to the ground. How do you feel about that? I mean, it, would this not be incredibly demoralizing? Right? It's just sad. It's just absolutely sad. So, here's something interesting. 424 years before this day, Solomon built the temple. 424 years that building had stood. <laughs> 424. Siri's having a fun day today, isn't she? That's awesome. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the answer to the question, right? Um, so the, the next blank there is priceless treasures can be lost in one day. And we all know this, right? We all know that, that you can have something that you value so incredibly much, and then all of a sudden it can just be gone in one day. John Wesley's commentary says, By the burning of the temple, God would show how little he cares for the outward pomp of his worship when the life and power of religion are gone. Because if it's just a shell, the shell doesn't mean a lot. Here's another interesting thing. He said that 430 years uh, the temple of Solomon had stood and it observed by Josephus, he's a New Testament um, historian, that the second temple, the temple that the Romans burnt, was burnt on the same month and the same day of the month as the first one was burnt. I don't, I don't know what day of the year that falls, but that's a bad day in Jewish history. That's a bad day. So what else did they do? They burned all the houses of Jerusalem, the rest of verse 9. That is, all the houses of the great he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. So they effectively destroyed the, Jerusalem's ability to, to defend herself, right? Because if you have no wall, you have no security. You have no, no peace. And this does not look good. The temple is burned. Solomon's house is burned. The great houses are burned. The wall is broken down. It, this guy took it seriously. Verse 11. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away the captive, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. I was trying to think about how to summarize this. They had been disobedient for a very, very long time. Um, and in my life, what I have found is that disobedience always leads to slavery. Always. It can lead to slavery to a sin that I'm just going to go back to and back to and back to and back to. It can lead to disobedience to uh, myself, that, that I just want what I want all the time. It can lead to uh, slavery to even Satan, right? Because you, you can just be consumed with this thing, and it is awful. Disobedience leads to slavery. And that's what happens to the children of Israel here, and it's just a, it's an awful, awful thing. Verse 12. And after almost every awful, awful thing in the Bible, there's usually a what? Just a glimmer of hope. And this is what verse 12 is. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. And you kind of go, is that, is that going to be important later? Yes, that's going to be ridiculously important later. Because you can read through 2 Kings 25, and I can't relate to somebody whose house has been burned. That's hard, right? I can't relate to the Chaldeans 
to go in and to burn somebody's house. I don't know. But I can relate to the vine dressers and the farmers because that's what Jesus has left us here to do, right? You take care. You tend to it until I come back because God's story is never without hope and never ends. Is that cool or what? God's story never ends. It looks bad that day. It looks really bad. This thing stood for 430 years, and now it's not. But God's still standing. And he allowed all this to happen. It filtered through his hands, and it happened on the exact day. In case you didn't notice, he went to great pains to document the exact day that he wanted it to happen. Verse 13, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots and the shovels and the trimmers and the spoons and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered, the fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. You guys are familiar with all the detail that went into the Old Testament descriptions of things, right? The the pomegranate flower would be arranged this big and it was so many spans and it was so many finger widths and it was this and it was placed here and it was put this and it looked and the Bible says the articles of these were beyond measure you can't quantify the dollar impact they completely rated them verse 17 the height of one pillar was 18 cubits and the capital on it was bronze the height of the capital was 3 cubits and the network and the pomegranates all around the capital were all bronze The second pillar was the same with the network. So these countless treasures that were used for the worship of the Lord are now in a pagan king's court, melted down somewhere. I mean, so so Adam, you you have um, helped out with the offering lately, right? So how would you feel if somebody came in and burned down our church and took the offering utensils and what we use for communion and burned them down, melted them down, and used them for something else to serve a pagan god. That's where they're at. You feel great about this chapter so far? It's exciting, isn't it? It's like, wow, I feel good about myself, right? No, not at all. There's some junk that happens because sin is messy. And when God deals with it, he deals with it. Verse 18, And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. And he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army, which I think was an incredibly smart tactical move, who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Zebedarin, the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. 860 years from the day they walked in. When Joshua let them in, they were there for 860 years. Now I want to be real clear about something. Because sometimes we get the impression that when we invade a place, we then own that place. Right? Let's say we wanted to go take over, I don't know, um, Bermuda. Right? We're going to go invade Bermuda because we just think we need some more beach land, right? That'd be awesome. Just go Bermuda. 
So if we go and we land the forces of the United States Army, do you think Bermuda is going to stand a chance? Not so much, no. So if we go take it over, whose land is it then? Whose land is it if we take it over? It's ours, right? Who gave that land of Bermuda to the Bermudans? Bermudians? I don't know. Is that how you say that? Sure. Who gave it to them? People of Bermuda, they just walked up on it one day and said, this is ours, plant a flag, yay. This is a great place, you should come. Um, that was a joke, nobody laughed. Okay. All right. Who gave the land to the children of Israel? God. Did God take it back? Did he go, you know what, I'm going to take back that promise for you to have this land forever. No, he did not. Just because somebody else is living there doesn't mean it's not their land anymore. It's still, to this day, their land. And they're going to get it back. <laughs> I promise you. And it will be messy beyond belief how it happened. But they will get it back. Nebuchadnezzar has never dreamed of anything as rough as the way God is going to go get this back for them. It is unreal and it is going to happen. Just because they are not living there doesn't mean it's not theirs. So I'll make a very clear distinction on that because this is going to matter when we get to Revelation in a couple months and start talking about when God fixes all things. Right? Because I'm not a Revelation expert by any stretch of the imagination. I know he's going to do what is right when it's time to do what it's right and it's going to all be right at the end. That's my ecclesiology, right? Okay, that's how it's going to work out. So, let's look at verse 22. Then he, Nebuchadnezzar, made Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah. So he propped up a new king, right? And you kind of get the feeling, I got the feeling that, oh, this guy was probably just a puppet, right? Jeremiah talks about him as a great leader, as a friend. If you want to see something interesting, read uh, Jeremiah 52 this week. Put Jeremiah 52 next to 2 Kings 25, and it's almost word for word. It's almost word for word the exact same story. And the people remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Korea, Sariah, the son of, I got nothing, uh, Tanhumath, the, I thought I was doing pretty good so far, the Nedophahalite, and uh, yes, they and their men, sorry, uh, and Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Is that a brave king or what? They just burned the house of the Lord, burned Solomon's house, broke down the walls, took the people captive, killed the king, killed all his sons, and he says, don't be scared. <laughs> I don't know what he had for breakfast, but holy cow. Right? I mean, that's craziness. That's his crazy talk. Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. He had not given up hope. Verse 25, but it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah. Isn't that sad? Because some men would rather be slaves than free. 
And, and, and this is shocking to me at times, right? Because you'll share the gospel with somebody, and you're like, do you not understand that you are a slave to the wrong king? You have the wrong daddy. Do you not get it? And some people just want to be slaves. Um, when there is freedom in Christ to be found. So this amazing story. So verse 26, And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Verse 27, Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that, what does your Bible say? Does it sound like he's a good guy? Just, just if you stopped right there, you go, is this a good guy or not a good guy? I would go, thumbs down, right? Well, let's see what he does. King of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, this is Nebuchadnezzar's son, released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him. And he gave him a more prominent seat than those kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king a portion for each day, all the days of his life. And thus ends the book of the kings. So don't judge a guy by his name, right? Because maybe it'll be okay. So if you meet a Delilah one day, or a Jezebel, or an Ahab, I don't know, just cut them a break until you get to know them, because they may be all right, right? They may have just had completely ignorant parents and didn't know any better, right? Yeah, it's the parents' fault. So what's the point from this text today, right? Because this was... It's just, ah, oh, right? All the messages of the prophets after this turn because of this event. The fact that Jesus shows up under Roman domination is because the Chaldeans were overthrown by somebody who was overthrown by somebody who was overthrown by somebody who was overthrown by the Romans. The Jews are under subjugation from this point until the time of Christ. This changed everything historically for them. So what's the point of this? Well, I think, number one, important things are often easily overlooked. Uh, number two, even when punishing his people, God always has a remnant. And I'm glad. Right? There's always a group. If there was a lesson to be learned from last week's story about uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, is that you are not alone. Right? Elijah kept going, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. At the end of the story, God goes, yeah, I got 7,000 guys hanging out. Oh, I guess I'm not the only one left. That's pretty awesome. And then number three, God's story is never over. It, it, it's not a uh, God's story never ends. It's it's never over. It will continue forever. When time stops and God decides to reckon all things another way, his story will continue. When he creates another structure to display his majesty and his wonder, his story will continue. And we will be part of that on one side or the other. Because his story doesn't end, ours doesn't end. And ours is not over today. Amen? Oh, aren't you glad this isn't the end of all things? Because we've got a lot of getting better to do before the end of all things needs to occur. So what do I need to do? Well, number one, anybody know the blank that needs to go there? Billy, you know the blank? Rocks. Get the big rocks in the jar. Right? You guys have seen this. There's a jar. You only have so much time and space. You got to do the important things first. 
then you put the little rocks in, then you put the sand in, then you put the water in, then the jar's full. But if you put the little rocks and the sand and the water in, and you still got the big rocks of uh, prayer every day and devotional time and your family and all these other things, they're not going to fit in the jar. So the important things are important. Number two, remain faithful. In my copy, I have be an other. Remember the, old, the, the New Testament stories where it talks about and others showed up and they did this, and we don't know their names. And, and, and I don't know the names of any. This is amazing. I don't know the names of any of those vine dressers and farmers. They don't show up. But they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And they were faithful. Um, and then number three, no matter how dark the night, the capital S-O-N is coming again. And he will fix it. I promise you. And it will not go well for those that are not on his side. Um, this is not the end of your story. If God is your daddy, then I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but everything's going to be okay. All right? Everything's going to be okay. Uh, it might be ugly until we get to that point. It might be hard. You might have a lot of bad days in a row, but it's going to be okay. God takes this mess that the Israelites are in and less than 600 years later brings his son into the world through this mess. Now that's impressive, right? If God can work through that, there's nothing that we're going to face on a daily basis that's going to look anything like this, right? I mean, Russia and Iran and uh, China and who else? North Korea have all got to gang up and have a really good day series of days for America to look like this. And if it does, he'll work through that too. And he will win in the end. Alright? So 2 Kings 25. Next week, we're back in the New Testament looking at uh, the letters to the leaders of the early churches. Uh, so we get a, a kind of a peek behind the curtain on what the responsibilities of our pastors and our leaders are in our church. Uh, and it's a really cool series, so don't miss that.